Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Urban Outfitters, Inc. Fourth Quarter Fiscal 21 Earnings Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the conference, please press star, then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this conference call is being recorded. I would now like to introduce Una McCullough, Director of Investor Relations. Ms. McCullough, you may begin. Good afternoon and welcome to the URBN Fourth Quarter Fiscal 2021 Conference Call. Earlier this afternoon, the company issued a press release outlining the financial and operating results for the three and 12 month periods ending January 31, 2021. The following discussions may include forward-looking statements. It's important to note at this time, the global COVID-19 pandemic has had and continues to have a significant material impact on URBN's business. Given the uncertainty about the duration and extent of the virus's impact to the global retail environment, content discussed on today's call could change materially at any time. Accordingly, future results could differ materially from historical practices and results or current descriptions, estimates, and suggestions. Additional information concerning factors that could cause actual results to differ materially from projected results is contained in the company's filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission. To find disclosures and reconciliations of non-GAAP measures that we use when discussing our financial results, please refer to our earnings release in the Investor Relations section of our website. On today's call, you will hear from Frank Conforti, Co-President, URBN, and Richard Hain, Chief Executive Officer, URBN. Following that, we will be pleased to address your questions. For more detailed commentary on our quarterly performance and the text of today's conference call, please refer to our Investor Relations website at www.urbn.com. I will now turn the call over to Frank. Thank you, Ona. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining our call. On today's call, I will discuss our thoughts on our first quarter and full fiscal year 22. While we certainly have more clarity than we did at this time last year, there is still a meaningful amount of uncertainty in the year that lies ahead. Even with this uncertainty, both Dick and I believe there are plenty of reasons to remain excited and optimistic about FY22 and beyond. We feel confident about our overall strategy, but have less clarity on the timing and magnitude of recovery. For example, we are confident consumer spending will rebound this year and believe apparel spending will be a beneficiary of the rebound. We believe as consumer confidence improves and the impact of the virus continues to wane, the consumer will want to go out and socialize more. When they do, they will want to wear new things. We are confident store traffic will improve. We have less clarity about the level and timing of that improvement. February has been a difficult month to draw conclusions about traffic trends. As severe weather patterns neg negatively impacted the North American business and nearly all of our European stores remained on lockdown. Despite that, we are beginning to see signs of improvement, especially in the warmer weather stores. We are also confident that our brands are well positioned to take advantage of the improved consumer spending on apparel. We have strong brands that our consumers come to for trend right product and inspiring shopping experiences, both online and in stores. 
We have swift sourcing capabilities and the ability to air product into country to chase consumer demand as it begins to build. I am also personally confident that I will enjoy, in quotes, plenty of challenges explaining our performance, be it versus LY or LLY or by channel or by geography. There are a lot of moving pieces right now. On that note, let me cover a quick housekeeping item. This year, when speaking to our results, we will largely focus on comparing results to FY20. While we are starting the year more challenged than two years ago due to the ongoing impact of COVID-19 on stores, we believe this is the right comparison and measurement for our business performance. Now I will speak to the first quarter and a bit about full year FY22. It is important to note that COVID-19 is not only negatively impacting our store sales performance, it is also disrupting our inventory flows. We continue to experience delays and increased costs in bringing product into the US and UK from Asia. These delays impact our ability to replenish and deliver timely new receipts to all channels. We do believe these challenges will gradually moderate as the quarter progresses. We believe the first quarter will show a steady sales improvement versus FY20 as the quarter progresses. Right now, we believe first quarter total company sales could come in low single-digit positive versus FY20. This could be the result of retail segment sales being up low single digits and wholesale segment sales decreasing by low double digits. One of the biggest unknowns impacting resale segment sales is when all of our European stores will be able to resume trading. Based on our current sales performance and forecast, we believe our gross profit margins for the first quarter could be down several hundred basis points to FY20. Deleverage in delivery and logistics expense resulting from the increased penetration of the digital channel to the total business could be the primary cause of this decline. Please keep in mind, on a standalone basis, our digital channel is far more profitable than our store channel. Quarter to date, our store sales are meaningfully below levels in Q1 FY20. Since store occupancy expense is largely fixed, reduced sales create considerable deleverage in the store results. When the channel P&Ls are combined, the increased penetration of the more profitable digital channel provides a significant benefit to store occupancy expense as a rate to sales. We believe this is likely what will occur in the first quarter. If store sales improve throughout the quarter and year, which we believe is likely, the opportunity for gross margin recovery increases. Now moving on to SG&A. Based on our current sales performance and plan, we believe SG&A could grow in the low single digit range for the first quarter and in the mid single digit range for the full year versus FY20. Our growth in SG&A is primarily due to planned marketing and creative spend to support our robust digital channel growth. Additionally, our SG&A growth is a result of planned incentive-based compensation, which was largely not achieved in FY20. The growth in these expenses could be partially offset by lower direct store controllable costs. As we've done in the past quarters, our teams will manage SG&A relative to actual sales. We are currently planning our effective tax rate to be approximately 30% for 
for the full year FY22. We believe the first quarter effective tax rate could come in somewhat lower than our annual rate due to the timing of profits and losses. Capital expenditures for a fiscal year are planned at approximately $250 million. The spend is primarily related to construction on a new distribution facility in North America, in addition to the completion of our automation equipment in our new facility in the UK. Our new North American facility, just outside of Kansas City, Kansas, will take approximately two years to complete phase one. This facility will support the growth and expansion of our retail segment business in North America by providing more efficient and faster inventory processing, as well as faster and more consistent delivery times to our stores and digital customers. Lastly, we are planning on opening approximately 55 new stores and closing 21 stores this year. Our new store number is larger than in previous years due to the addition of FP movement store growth as well as the availability of favorable lease terms on new stores. The obvious question is, why open stores with the uncertainty around store traffic? The answer is the economics of our new stores are significantly favorable to our existing ones. Currently, we are successfully negotiating variable rent, also known as percentage rent, on most of our new stores. This provides reasonable protection against traffic fluctuations. Additionally, we are receiving significant capital reimbursements on many of our new or renewal locations, making the capital investments in these new stores minimal. Lastly, our new stores are located primarily in secondary markets where traffic patterns are currently outperforming major metropolitan areas. While our new stores have these benefits, many of our existing locations do not. We will need to negotiate better occupancy costs at these existing locations when leases expire, or we will be forced to close them. When I speak about the learnings we look forward to this year, a better understanding of where store traffic and volume will reset to once the virus retreats is obviously at the top of our list. As a reminder, the foregoing does not constitute a forecast, but is simply a reflection of our current views. The company disclaims any obligation to update forward-looking statements. Now, I am pleased to turn the call over to Dick Hain, CEO of URBN. Thanks, Frank, and good afternoon, everyone. Today, I'll discuss our current business trends, the year ahead, and give an update on several of our growth initiatives. As a reminder, when I use the word comp in reference to our current year sales, it will mean a comparison against FY20 sales, or double LY, not against last year, since those results were obviously very distorted by COVID. We will use this double LY standard for the remainder of FY22. Let me get, begin with our current trends. As previously disclosed in our Q4 sales release, all three brands showed significant improvement in January versus what I would characterize as disappointing holiday sales. Throughout January, sales strengthened as new inventory arrived. Beginning in early February, this trend was interrupted by abnormal weather events that depressed store traffic. As more typical weather patterns returned to the U.S. toward the end of February, store traffic and sales in North America showed meaningful improvement. This helped to drive mid-single-digit positive 
retail segment comps for the month, with all brands in North America positive. Meanwhile, in Europe, virtually all of our stores remain closed due to government mandates. Digital sales in Europe more than doubled and offset much of the store loss, but total retail segment comp sales in February decreased by high single digits in Europe. Combining these factors, we believe total company retail segment comps could be positive for the quarter. The magnitude of comps, however, depends on many factors, including when stores in Europe are permitted to reopen. During Q4 in February, both the anthropology and urban brands continued to benefit from strong home sales. This even though new home inventory receipts from Asia were delayed by four weeks or more, as Frank discussed earlier. Compared to the prior year, current customer back orders for home products are up over 350% and now exceed $20 million. We expect the timeliness of inbound freight to slowly improve over the next several months, which should help comp sales as we ship back orders to customers. But we also believe freight costs will remain elevated for much of the year. While home products are selling briskly, performance within the all-important apparel category is spotty at both larger brands. Dressier apparel underperformed in January and much of February, while casual apparel was mixed, some classes selling well and others not. Obviously, COVID-related stay-at-home mandates impacted customer buying behavior. More recently, however, we're seeing signs of customer interest in going out type apparel beginning to emerge. We believe as vaccines become more widely distributed, new COVID cases continue to fall and government restrictions begin to loosen, women will feel more comfortable venturing out and apparel demand will accelerate. The exact timing is hard to predict, but we believe it will coincide with spring weather. Moving to free people, this brand seems immune to the virus. Their business has remained positive throughout the pandemic, except for a brief period last March. Almost all free people product categories enjoyed success in both January and February. This drove strong double-digit retail segment comps in both months. Positive outliers include casual apparel, shoes, and of course, FP movement. Movement is one of our most exciting growth initiatives. In Q4, new movement customers grew by 138% and digital sales advanced by more than 150%. All channels, digital, retail, and wholesale posted strong gains, and that trend has continued into Q1. During the fourth quarter, we opened two more standalone movement stores, Boulder, Colorado, and Coconut Grove, Florida. Along with the first store that opened in Century City last October, these standalone stores performed nicely above plan in February. This year, we're excited to open an additional 10 locations across the country. Given the abundance of available locations and favorable lease terms, we plan to increase that number next year. With movement achieving outstanding results across all channels, including standalone stores, triple-digit gains in digital sales, high productivity in the 54 shopping shops inside Free People stores, plus a growing wholesale account base, we believe movement is poised to grow revenues 
from just shy of $100 million last year to over a quarter billion dollars in FY24. Another exciting growth initiative is Anthro Living. This past year, the anthropology team rebranded the home category as Anthro Living and delivered positive retail segment comps in all four quarters, despite stores being closed or impaired. During the year, the Anthro Living digital customer base grew by over 60%. We believe the brand offers a unique aesthetic in this category and will continue to deliver outsized growth with the ability to more than double revenues and exceed a billion dollars in sales in the next five years. Finally, I would like to make you aware of a marketing initiative we began testing in early February. It's a paid membership program we call UP. In exchange for an annual fee, UP provides membership benefits across our entire portfolio of brands. UP is designed to drive increased frequency, capture a greater share of wallet, improve retention, provide opportunities for greater cross-brand exposure and selling, and attract new customers. We believe the ability to access benefits at all urban brands for the price of one membership fee offers a key differentiator for our program. The test launched in two markets, Dallas and Atlanta, and will run for six to 12 months depending on the rate of signups and the speed of our learnings. We look forward to sharing more about the UP initiatives on future calls. Before closing, I know many of you saw our January announcement concerning management changes at the Urban Brand. I want to congratulate Sheila Harrington on a well-deserved promotion to CEO of both the Urban Outfitters and Free People brands. Sheila started with Free People in 2002 as the head retail merchant in charge of opening the first Free People store. She has been instrumental in building this now iconic brand over the past 19 years. She's been responsible for driving positive comps for 16 of the past 17 quarters and incubating the FP Movement brand. Right now, she's actively searching for a head merchant for the urban brand in North America as Gabrielle Conforti has left URBN to pursue another opportunity. I'm confident Sheila will be successful in her new role and besides maintaining positive quarterly comps at Free People, will now help drive consistent growth at the urban brand as well. In closing, I thank all brand and shared service leaders, their teams, and our 19,000 associates worldwide. Back in March of 2020, when the pandemic first hit North America, we imagined that URBN would incur a very substantial loss for FY21. Instead, we made a profit. The hard work, resiliency, and creativity of our teams, together with the cooperation from many of our partners around the world, made that happen, and I thank all of you. I also thank our shareholders for their continued support. That concludes my prepared remarks. Now for your questions. Thank you. If you have a question at this time, please press star 1 in your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. And please limit your questions to one per caller. Your first question comes from the line of Adrian Yaw from Barclays. Your line is open. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, thank you for taking my question. 
I want to stay on this topic of, um, you know, what's happening in the West Coast ports. And I was wondering, Frank, can you help us understand um, how much is sourced from the Far East or alternatively how much of your product would come in from a West Coast port? I believe you have most of your uh, ports, or well, some of your ports, you, you, you come through the East Coast. So does that help mitigate some of it? And then if you can give us any um, you know, actual quantification, perhaps percent that freight is of sales and what portion is inbound versus outbound, um, that would be super helpful. Thank you very much. Hi, Adrian. Um, it's less about the ports right now and more about the containers, and it's less about apparel and, and more about home. So while, yes, the ports are absolutely experiencing congestion, especially on the West Coast, uh, LAX and Oakland as great examples, and we're seeing you know, anywhere from two to seven days of delays in the ports, the, the bigger challenge is actually on just inbound vessels uh, having enough containers over in Asia to bring product in, and, and the category that's the most impacted right now, it's not to say apparel is not impacted, but the category that's the most impacted right now is the home category, affecting anthropology, then following, uh, following anthropology, the, the Urban Outfitters brand. We are starting to see some very, very slight improvement, and we're hopeful that uh, the, the improvement will continue at a moderate pace as the, as the quarter continues to, con continues to progress. Your next question comes from the line of Kimberly Greenberger from Morgan Stanley. Your line is open. Okay, great. Thank you so much. I wanted to follow up on the commentary regarding the first quarter and um, the momentum that you saw towards the end of February. Um, and, and Dick, did I hear you correctly say that, that uh, you saw significantly positive retail segment comps um, in the back half of February? Um, and then you expect the retail segment comps could be positive in the first quarter. And it sounds like you're measuring that against 2019. Um, did I hear you correctly? And, and if you could just peel back the onion a little bit on what's working and, and sort of what gives you hope um, that the recovery could, could in fact progress along this path, that would be great. Okay, Kimberly, I'll start with that if I could. Um, you did hear me correctly. Uh, I think that we saw comps, and again, the, let me define comps for you. It's double LY. That's what we're going to use for FY22 going forward. So unless we specify otherwise, it's always against double LY. Yes, the, the comps uh, did firm up, I would say, in the last 10 days of February. And the more striking thing than the fact that they, they did uh, improve was what, what we saw improving. Uh, you know, up until recently, I think you all know that the fashion that's, that's been uh, predominant has been, I guess I'd call, uh, casual at home comfortable. And anything that sort of fits that uh, description uh, had a very high chance of selling. Anything that didn't, uh, didn't have a chance of selling. Uh, we started to see that break a bit. Uh, one stat that I, that I like to give is that um, in the last week of February, Anthro uh, 
list of top 10 selling items on the anthropology.com website included seven dresses this year. And up until that point, over the past year, uh, we were lucky if they included one or two dresses. So that's a, a very striking change. Now, some of that definitely could be product-related, uh, and some of that could be imagery-related, both of which I think improved. But it is a striking change and one that we find uh, very positive. So I think that we're, we're beginning to see, I guess what I'm calling go-out fashion, uh, start to take hold. And just about everything uh, you're hearing uh, in the media today is starting to reinforce that uh, I want to get out and be with friends again and go out to dinner and do this and that. So I think the apparel business will be in for a change in terms of what categories uh, sell. Did I answer your questions more or less completely? Okay, on to the next question. Your next question comes from the line of Paul Ledgeway from Citigroup. Your line is open. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for taking the question. Um, curious how you're thinking about private label as you look out to uh, 2021. Uh, where, where was private label this past year as a percentage of sales at Urban and Anthro? And just how are you thinking about the long term? Also curious, Frank, I think you gave CapEx for this year. Curious about how you're thinking about CapEx over the uh, next couple of years. Thanks. Hey, Paul, I'll take the, the first uh, question. Um, I can't speak for all the brands, and I would let each one of them speak, um, but I don't think we have time, so let me try to uh, substitute. I think at uh, both – well, Freight People is basically – I hate to use the word private label. I would call it more uh, its own design. Uh, and, and so they're almost completely that right now, so I would – assume that they would maintain that. Anthropology, I believe, will increase the penetration slightly uh, of own, own product versus market product. And I think at the urban brand, uh, we want to increase the number, the style count. So I would think that in order to do that, we more than likely will uh, increase slightly the penetration of market product uh, to the overall brand. So I don't know if that answers your question in sufficient detail. If it doesn't, I'd be glad to talk to you offline. Your next question comes from a line of Matthew Boss from J.P. Morgan. Your line is open. Great, thanks. On gross margin and, and relative to 31.5% pre-pandemic gross margin in 2019, I guess, how's the, what would be the best way to frame the gross margin puts in pace this year if we were thinking about retail merchandise margins and occupancy? Hi, Matt. This is Frank. I'll take that one. The, the, the puts and takes um, really have to do with the, the three line items that I talk about a lot right now as we're, we're talking about gross profit margin. One is delivery and logistics expense, which have deleveraged to, 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 you know, on the total company P&L due to the increased penetration of the digital channel. And then the other is honestly is, is store occupancy, which has 
remained flat, but when you look at the store P&Ls on a discrete basis, um, the, the store occupancy on a store-only P&L has deleveraged significantly, meaningfully, because obviously our store sales um, are, are down meaningfully from where we were in calendar 19 or, or year fiscal 20. And the reason you're not seeing that store occupancy deleverage is due to the favorable benefit of the the growth into the into the digital of, of the digital channel. Obviously, as, as as we you know have covered on on previous calls, the digital channel is a more profitable channel than stores. So the opportunity for us uh, around margin recapture is as those store sales do start to recover, and, and as Dick mentioned and I mentioned in our calls, we do believe that they will continue to improve as the year progresses. That is what provides for that opportunity for margin recapture as the year progresses to be able to see the benefit of the increase in digital penetration as store, uh, as store sales are improving. Your next question comes from the line of Lorraine Hutchinson from Bank of America. Your line is open. Thanks. Good afternoon. Um, can I follow up on, on Matt's gross margin question? Is, is there a level of store sales that you'd need to get to as a percentage of 2020 store sales to stem the decline in, mar in gross margins? And where do you think the e-commerce penetration might shake out over the next couple of years. <laughs> Lorraine, I honestly wish I had that answer. Yeah, we all um, do, Lorraine. I, I, I would tell you, you know, I put it in my prepared commentary, to, to be honest with you, you know, I think where store and digital, um, I'll, I'll call it sort of traffic resets this year as, as the impact of the virus begins to wane, is really, I would say, either at the top or certainly in the top three items on uh, our list of, of what things that we're going to watch this year. Be because they're, they're tied together, I, I can't specifically speak to what store occupancy would recover to um, and, and the impact on gross profit margin without knowing what digital penetration is and, and how digital sales are, because there's obviously a relationship there. But, but if, you're, if you're assuming that stores are beginning to recapture and beginning to recover their sales volume versus where we were in fiscal 20 and digital is still continuing to grow, that, that, as that continues to progress, as stores continue to progress and show that improvement, you should see improvement and recapture in gross profit margin overall. Lorraine, this is Dick. If I could add to that, this is why as we're negotiating new leases or extensions of fire leases, that we're almost insistent, so very, very few aren't this way, of getting percentage rent deals. A percentage rent really insulates us uh, pretty nicely from fluctuations in traffic. So with a lack of uh, visibility to where it might end, uh, percentage rent is what we want. Our next question comes from the line of Mark Altschweiger from Baird. Your line is open. Uh, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my question. Um, Frank, I think you're guiding to SG&A growth up um, you know, low single-digit on a low single-digit increase in sales for, for Q1, which is um, a bit interesting. And in years past, I think, you know, you've guided to SG&A ahead of sales typically, um, given some of the investments in the growth areas like international, wholesale, newly. So I, I guess my question is, um, you know, how are you thinking about some of those incremental growth opportunities in fiscal 2022? How are you thinking about investing behind them today versus perhaps waiting for a bit more clarity on where the sales trends normalize? Thanks. Yep. Thank you for the question, Mark. 
I think, and I'm going to take credit, I think for the last five years, um, our SG&A growth, obviously excluding this year, has, has actually uh, been uh, under our, our sales growth. I think we've actually uh, actually leveraged um, and done a pretty good job at controlling our SG&A growth. With that being said, you're correct. Uh, based on our sales, current, current view of our sales plans, we think SG&A could be low single digit up uh, versus, again, versus fiscal 20 in the first quarter and mid-single digits up uh, versus fiscal 20 for the year. Obviously, that number is highly sensitive to sales, and we adjust uh, our SG&A growth accordingly as sales fluctuates during the course of the year. As it relates to, to the investments um, that, that we have going on in the business, as well as, quite frankly, inflation that, that, that's going on in, in the marketplace right now, that is built into the plans. So we are continuing to in, invest in, you know, many of the initiatives that we have going on in the, in the company, you know, free people movement, anthro living, um, the, the newly business, that is baked into, baked into the plans. Your next question comes from a line of Kate Fitzsimmons from RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Yes, hi. Thanks very much for taking my question. Um, Frank, I guess piggybacking on that, um, in terms of the SP movement stores this year, um, can you guys maybe expand on what you're seeing um, early days in that concept with store openings, you know, digital, new customer acquisition? It feels like the athletic category can appeal perhaps to a wider, maybe older demographic. So just curious in terms of what you're seeing there in terms of new, uh, new customer acquisition. Um, and then, Dick, you, you talked about the UP membership program. Can you just give us a little bit more detail? You know, how much is the, is the membership? Uh, you said it's in two markets. Any surprising learnings? That would be helpful. Thank you. Okay, Kate. I'm going to ask uh, Sheila Harrington to speak to the first question. Okay. Hi, um, Kate. Uh, our our store, new stores for FP Movement, we are extraordinarily pleased with our conversion NAUR, which is actually higher than the Free People stores, which gives us a lot of, you know, optimism as we open future stores. I think because of the time frame of which we opened, um, it's difficult to say how many new customers that we will be able to capture. We are pleased that the customer coming in does seem to be uh, of what you talked about, a, a wider breadth than our free people audience, which is why we think um, the size of the business can be as large as it is. As it is. Um, so, but between our Omni uh, retail segment, we are really pleased with our new customer growth. As Dick said, it was in the triple digits um, this past year. Okay, and, um, and Dave, do you want to give a, an update on UP? Yeah, sure. Hi, Kate. Uh, thanks for the question. Um, we're really excited about UP. UP's a, a new program we're just rolling out in two markets. So we're currently testing it in the Atlanta and Dallas market. And the current thought is that we're testing it across two different price points. So there's a $48 price point and a $98 price point. And the benefits for both of those tests are the same. So each of the uh, markets will, once someone signs up, they will get a gift card. There are different prices for the gift card in, uh, in exchange for signing up. And then along with the, with the sign-up, um, the, the benefits of the program are free shipping and free returns on all orders, 15% uh, off of all orders. Uh, I mentioned the gift card. And then also there's a $10 off coupon uh, every month of uh, someone's newly subscription. So. The goal here is really to test and learn and to understand the degree to which customers are intrigued by these offerings and um, 
and then also be able to measure over time how customers uh, respond and if their behavior changes based on uh, be becoming a member. Um, so early days, we just launched it a few weeks ago, um, uh, very early, but uh, encouraged by the early uh, feedback so far and uh, excited about the program. Your next question comes from the line of Janet Kloppenberg from JJK Research. Your line is open. Good evening, everyone, um, and um, uh, good to hear the encouraging news. Um, I was wondering, Dick, um, you said early on that the apparel business at UO and Anthropology was um, maybe just okay in February and early March, and I wondered... Um, I know you're seeing dress up pick up, but I'm wondering if you could identify, you know, um, what was soft and why you think that may have been and how you see that unfolding as we go forward. Thank you. Um, I'll give a general and then ask um, Hillary to talk a little bit about anthropology. Um, yes, the apparel business was um, softer than we would have liked, uh, particularly in, in categories like dresses. Now, dresses did pick up, uh, as I said, toward the uh, end of February, but for the first part of February and certainly in January as well and going back probably almost or definitely going back to March of last year, uh, dresses really have not been strong at all. They've been very weak. Uh, there are a number of other um, areas that have been fairly weak as well. Um, in general, I would again, classify it as a split between that comfortable, casual, stay-at-home dressing and stuff that are dressing that women would typically choose if they were going out uh, to meet friends, to have a cup of coffee, to have dinner, uh, all those kinds of activities. Hillary, you want to be a little bit more sure. inclusive and, and maybe erudite than I just was? Hi, Janet. Um, I would start by saying that over the course of the better part of the last year, our business has shifted fairly significantly to being almost entirely casual. Um, and as you know, that's, that's a big shift for anthropology. As we entered February, I would say that it picked up, apparel picked up a little bit in the beginning of the month, still driven by casual and really lounge and the denim businesses being the primary drivers of that, but still quite challenged. And I would add at that point um, that home continues its strong momentum throughout the month of February. Um, as we reached the end of February, we saw a very distinct shift in, um, in consumer behavior. Uh, we've had very strong session growth all year long, but it's been disproportionately going to home. And we really started to see that change at the end of February. We saw a thousand basis point lift in, in um, apparel views, as well as a conversion improvement and an AOV improvement. And that was really driven by two things dresses, 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 and then also just a general shift to what I would call dressy, uh, dressy casual and then versatile clothing. So um, dresses is really the name of the game for anthropology in the first half of the year, and it's very, very encouraging. When I look at those seven styles that Dick talks about, I think that is the wheelhouse of anthropology, so it's very encouraging. Your next question comes from the line of Marnie Shapiro from the Retail Tracker. Your line is open. Hey, guys. Congrats. And Sheila, congratulations. And um, very exciting. I'm ready for some dresses. I'm done with sweatpants. Um, 
<laughs> so done. Um, I have two store questions. The inventory levels at your stores have been exceedingly clean, um, rightly so. How are you thinking about building that as hopefully traffic comes back? And how are you thinking about store size going forward? You're opening a number of stores um, with the digital portion of the business so important, but stores being very important. How are you thinking about the right size for your stores these days? So, so Marnie, I'm going to let Dick answer the question on inventory because I feel like maybe he planted that question with you. He's so anxious to answer it. And then I can talk a little bit about stores. Marnie, I love you. I knew you'd ask the question, some, something like that. And I've been uh, screaming about uh, inventory in stores now for probably two months. Um, I, I love the way you uh, you fashioned that on a positive way, saying that they were clean. Uh, everybody around this table is smiling because they've heard it maybe not so positively <laughs> expressed. Uh, I think that um, particularly in anthropology, uh, store inventory in apparel is light, and we would benefit from having uh, more of it. Uh, I think that that's true of the other two brands as well, but not anywhere near to the same degree. Uh, I would say that it's been a month now, uh, and each of the each of the brands have been transferring some of their uh, inventory that they hold in common. So on the inventory that gets designated as digital inventory, and they've been shipping extra inventory into the stores. So I think that you've seen probably a bit of an uptick in inventory in stores, but I think we still have a long way to go. And if any of this uh, current uh, trend continues, uh, we're going to need more more inventory in stores. I'm, I'm going to also take the store side. Okay. Uh, if you don't mind. Yeah, please. Um, I, I don't think there's any question that most of our stores – could lose uh, anywhere from 5 to 10% of their square feet, and we probably wouldn't miss a beat in terms of sales. But I also have to remind you that uh, the vast majority of our uh, new leases or renegotiated leases are percentage rent deals. And when you do a percentage rent or variable rent, whatever you want to call it, uh, the size of the store is certainly less meaningful. Now, if you went from, let's say, a 10,000-square-foot anthropology store and whittled that down to a 4,000-square-foot, you could get rid of a lot of other expenses. Uh, that would be uh, mostly labor. Um, but if you're on a percentage rent, uh, your occupancy would probably remain pretty much the same. So I think that the answer to your question is, Stores could get smaller, and if we're paying rent on a per-square-foot basis, then I think, yes, they should get smaller, uh, maybe anywhere from 5 to 10%. But if we're on a percentage rent basis, uh, there's, little, there's not a lot to drive that. Uh, but I would say that we are looking at slightly smaller spaces. Your next question comes from the line of Dana Telsey from Telsey Advisory Group. Your line is open. Good afternoon, everyone. As you think about the digital channel and the customers that you're capturing, how, how, did, how would the new customers in each brand coming in this year 
What did you see that differentiated them um, or that, that you learned from on that side? And digital marketing expense, as you think about marketing spend for this year, how do you look at it this year versus last, versus last year or versus 2019, I should say? Thank you. Sure. You want to take the last? I, I can talk about digital marketing spend for, for sure. Um, I, I can tell you that, you know, as we look at an annual SG&A number of roughly up mid-single digits, uh, the biggest line item there is, uh, you know, is certainly digital marketing, and, and that is to support not just the, you know, robust digital growth that we're seeing in the business right now, but it, it's also to support retention of the really impressive gains that we uh, that we achieved this year in, uh, in new digital customers onto each of the brands. If we're talking about um, the customers and what differentiates them, first of all, uh, total digital customers grew by about 50% for the year. Um, and, and that's a total of all brands. Uh, but uh, it was fairly consistent across the three major brands. And if that 50% increase, I would assume a reasonable portion of them, but not a majority. Uh, were store customers that, when the stores were closed, uh, transferred to digital. Uh, so as stores reopened, we would expect some of those folks to return to store shopping, although not all of them. But we do believe that we have an opportunity to convert those store shoppers into omni-shoppers, um, which leads me to the idea of retention. Uh, retention over the past uh, three, four years uh, has been about 25%. So a quarter of the customers, the new customers, were able to retain. Uh, we have to, we're going to have to work really hard this year to keep that percentage up because, as I said, some of those new 50% new customers are store customers. And if they like stores more than they like digital, they're likely to go back to being store sales. But our goal is to retain them, and what we're doing to do that is sending out personalized messages and continuing to uh, advertise in the social media and influencer uh, areas that uh, probably first attracted them to Jiju. Your next question comes from a line of Ike Borchow from Wells Fargo. Your line is open. Hey guys, um, Frank, just kind of curious if you could talk about wholesale, you know, the, the guidance for Q1, I understand. What's your visibility with, with the order book there? And then from a margin perspective, just for the wholesale channel, are you expecting to be able to get back to the kind of mid-teens margins you were having kind of pre-COVID? Just kind of curious on profitability. Thanks. So I, I can talk, let Sheila talk about sort of the visibility to her book, but, but I can tell you and give Sheila credit as, as Free People obviously is the lion's share of our wholesale business right now, but I don't want to discredit Urban Outfitters and the growth that they have. Uh, the, the wholesale business has started to really regain and recapture the, the successful profit margins that they've had in the past, and we feel like you know mid to high teens uh, operating profit margin this year is uh, where where the business can can can, uh, can can achieve, and it is going to to run out on a regular basis again, which is a uh, which is which is great to see. And uh, maybe Sheila can talk a little bit more about our bookings going forward. Okay, um, over the part of. Um, 
what happened in the pandemic was the opportunity that Free People Wholesale had to reset its customer base and really make smart decisions in terms of who to align with as partners to continue to grow our business. And I think that has benefited us both from a profitability standpoint, but also gives us opportunity to really grow the business appropriately with these partners. So we feel very confident that we, we selected customers that we feel like have a lot of growth, that are digital savvy, that put the customer first um, and product first. Um, so we feel very optimistic across most of the categories of which free people offer. Our last question comes from the line of Jay Soul from UBS. Your line is open. Great. Thank you so much. Um, I guess I'm just looking for a clarification on the guidance for the first quarter. Um, if, if it sounds like February trended positively overall, I think it's what you said, um, is that on a comp basis or is that on a total sales basis? And then if we think about the low, low, uh, low single-digit positive guidance for the quarter, and your comment about spring weather could bring a real boost in dresses and some of the other categories that maybe didn't trend so well over during the pandemic. Um, is that baked into the guidance or is that sort of like an upside opportunity if warmer weather really does start to drive um, a lot of pent-up demand as we get into, you know, late March and April? Thank you. Hi, Jay. This is, uh, this is Frank. So the, the answer is that the low single digit w would assume that we, you know, continue to see the improved performance that we're seeing now. Um, I, I could tell you that, you know, I, I think there, there is the opportunity for that performance to look better. And, again, we're comparing versus, uh, versus fiscal 20. Um, and largely speaking, where that opportunity exists for us right now is, is certainly in stores, not that digital can't continue to perform at the high levels that they're at. Um, but but if, stores, uh, if stores improved, um, then that improves and, and moves the, you know, sort of both that gross profit and operating profit margins. But right now, our, our low single digits uh, plan um, is, is based on some of the acceleration that we have seen uh, recently over, as Dick talked about, over the last 10 days. Um, also, just is, is and obviously this is two years back, so if you remember sort of from a comparison, which I don't expect anyone to remember, um, you know, our, our comparison versus fiscal 20, so two years ago, LLY, and this is why I said I will certainly enjoy a lot of uh, fumbling on uh, talking about statistics this year. Uh, our, our comparison actually gets a little bit harder as the quarter, as the quarter progresses, uh, with, with March being the more difficult, uh, the difficult comparison. Thank you. All right. I will now turn the call back over to Mr. Richard Hing for some closing comments. Well, not a lot of closing comments. Just thank you very much for uh, joining us, and uh, we hope to see you in a few months. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating, everyone. You may now disconnect.